How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Oh, Mark. <laughs> Gosh, you Dr. Know, Joe. It's so nice to be here yeah. with you tonight, Mark. It really yeah. is. You know, Thomas is here. We got Ben there. We got a great guest. We tonight. have a really cool show. We have a really I'm cool really show. I'm really interested tonight. to talk about this. Please. It's something I don't know a lot about, but let's let's introduce our guest, shall it's we? It's food for thought. So tonight we have a guest, Dr. David Herzog, who served on the full-time medical staff of Massachusetts General Hospital for 35 years. 35 years. As staff psychiatrist and pediatrician, specializing in eating disorders, research, education, and treatment. He authored 300, 300 publications and was the first endowed professor of psychiatry in the field of eating disorders at Harvard Medical School. He has re received numerous honors and awards including the Blanche F. Idelson Award for Research in Child and Adolescent Psychiatry from the American Psychiatric Association, the Simon Weil Leadership Award from the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and the Joseph B. Goldberger Award in Clinical Nutrition from the American Medical Association. Dr. Herzog is the Special Assistant to the President of William James College. As the director of the college's public education series, he convenes thought leaders to address societal issues that impact mental health. Welcome, Dr. Herzog. Delighted to be here. And, and, be you, on. and you know what else? He's, he's just a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a great guy. All right. Yeah. How uh, are you? How are you? Welcome to you, the I'm, Dr. Joe Show. I'm thrilled to be on here with you guys. I am so <laughs> thrilled. So, you know, these enormous accolades because you've you've earned this so much but you know um just so folks full disclosure uh, dr herzog was one of my mentors and is still one of my mentors one of my teachers at, at mass general and i was doing my child fellowship just just so much fun for us to reconnect it um t tell us a little bit what are you doing right now what are you doing these days uh, not right now like concretely right now <laughs> so what are he's you doing on the these phone days? with you he's on the phone good <laughs> yeah well no. So what, what is special assistant to the president of William James? First of all, what is William James College? William James College is, a, uh, is primarily a graduate school of psychology. Um, it has a bachelor of science degree in uh, human services. However, the great majority of the students are uh, graduate students of psychology or either receiving uh, or in a master's program in counseling or in a uh, a doctorate program in psychology, um, and there are a whole range of programs there, a Latino mental health program, a, a, a vets program, a, a training, a t what's called TVTV, TV, training vets to treat vets. Uh, but my role has been in advancing the profile of the college and uh, developing these forums. So when I got to the college four plus years ago, I, uh, the first thing I did was uh, create a uh, gubernatorial forum on mental health with 
then-candidate Charlie Baker hmm. and the three finalists amongst the Democratic candidates uh, focused on mental health. And uh, we had about 800 people. And it was my first chance to hear Charlie Baker talk about his interest in the opioid crisis and, and his commitment to work in that area. And since that time, I've created two other major forums on, on the topic of the opioid crisis, and uh, one on called Thinking Outside the Box and another called uh, a full-day program on stigma. Um, and now I'm working on the next uh, forum, which is really a little bit more regional focus. Uh, America is watching response to the opioid crisis in New England. It's interesting. We had Ken Davenport, who was a Broadway producer, and he said the most important thing is to get the people in the room. And I heard saying that. I mean, that's what's what you're doing. You're getting the the right people in the room, but having other people being able to observe this and learn from this, um, it's it's going to be great. And we're, we're we're blessed. We're blessed with a great planning committee. We actually had a call today. Um, I mean, these are, you know, that's about as exciting as it gets. This even around those calls to hear the interest and. In, uh, um, you know, and here the assistant to the governor of Rhode Island on the call because he was someone, he's someone in recovery and mm. very, very much uh, interested in this whole area. Yeah, I, I, I'm so delighted to hear that, you know, we are really breaking through the stigma um, of addiction in particular. You know, we, we, we spent a lot of time doing this with mental health, but now addiction, I mean, folks, you know, the people struggling with addiction have been the modern-day pariah for way too long. Right. And as I like to say, you know, this is not about morality. This is about mortality. I mean, this is about the brain. You know? Very much so. And, and, and particularly the brains of young people. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and, and it's sort of interesting. My history, you know, I, as you could tell, I mean, I, my background has a little bit to do with the field of eating disorders. And in some ways, there are a lot of relation, you know, similarities or commonalities. I don't know, with some, you know, with with these entities because the the uh, there, there's uh, a reluctance to trust people to seek treatment, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and and so people tend to react to that by saying, you know, they're um, brats or whatever or. They, difficult people or uh, other words you know to describe them but um yeah the the but really uh it it, it is this issue of you know whom can i trust with this information mm. and uh, uh and then what will be the response will someone actually try to understand me or is someone going to uh, either punish me or restrict me in some way or right. And, 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 you know, I know we, we've spoken about this a little bit, but that's exactly what the I am approach is trying to break through by, by really respecting people, treating them with respect, which leads them to feel valuable. I think that's the key to them getting to trust you. Right. right. Uh, and, you know, in all these areas, uh, language matters. Yeah. So you know the 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 tendency to kind of refer to people as addicts or abusers or you know you know and those are the milder terms right as, but the 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 rather than as individuals who are struggling with 
a given you know substance use problem or uh, actually makes a big difference to the individual it really does and and this is you know this is another thing that we've spoken about on the dr joe show you know not using words like disorder right you know because as soon as you have a disorder you've got a, a group that's ordered and a group that is disordered as opposed to you know everyone has a condition mm. you know we talked about this with uh, with this guy chris white uh doctors who was the, the president and ceo of road to responsibility they work with folks with significant intellectual challenges and we were talking about is this an intellectual disability or an intellectual different ability listen um i know you you know may not want to go back in time but you have spent so much time really establishing uh, this whole you know eating thing and the food and the, can 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 we spend a little time talking about that and what you've learned over the course of your career what i mean what is why does this happen what's going on in in a person that they that they they begin to struggle with 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 the most one of the most basic things that human beings want what do we want we want food shelter and the ability right. to mate and so here's the food part tell us about it <laughs> so you know i i have to go back real early now back to uh, the the uh, um actually back to the 70s um, when, you know, I, I think I became interested in this area where I was a uh, pediatric house officer and uh, at, at the University of Wisconsin. And I would see these uh, teens with, because uh, then it was essentially a teenage disorder or a teenage problem. And, and um, the, uh, and, and, um, the pediatricians felt that the problem was essentially psychiatric, and the psychiatrists felt that, you know, they, these young people were too ill medically to warrant psychiatric care. So, you know, and no, no pun intended, but they, these individuals sort of fell through the cracks. They no, Nobody wanted to own the, the, that particular area. Um, and, uh, and I was just curious, what, why was this happening? Mm. You know, why were people not eating? Yeah. Uh, the uh, this was really even sort of almost pre bulimia, um, and uh, um, so I, I kept scratching my head and kept you know m m spending time with young people um, trying to understand that and and with their families because it, it really uh, created havoc and, and anything that any time well particularly a mother but you know any parent where the child is not going to eat that becomes a uh, a pretty painful experience mm. um and a lot of guilt and uh um and and just rage yeah. um so the uh, but it, but a real sense of inadequacy within it and uh um and so i began to be get interested in who these young people were and when i went to ultimately the mass general in 1980 and started a clinic uh, uh, and actually then started a research project which was asking the question what will people be like over time who have this who come in who have this problem what, what, what happens to them you know whether they have treatment or they don't you know I remember because a lot of individuals would come in they'd seek treatment for a while and then leave the treatment yeah, they, they wouldn't just stay consistently in a treatment. And so what happens to people? And uh, 
we ultimately got funded by the NIMH to follow uh, 246 women um, with uh, you know, anorexia and bulimia uh, that we followed for 25 years, prospectively. Wow. Yeah. And that became kind of a landmark, kind of a seminal study, uh, in part because it spoke to the – well, had it raised a series of – it addressed a few questions, but it raised its, a, a whole bunch of other questions. So one of the things it clarified is that this is a very serious illness, and we, uh, we saw uh, in the uh, uh, 135 individuals with anorexia nervosa – uh, 16 of the individuals died, and these were young people over time. And it, and we would only have known about it because we were following them in a study. I mean, we weren't actually treating these folks, you know. And and uh, and four of them committed suicide. Hmm. Um, and again, we wouldn't have known about that if a family member hadn't seen some of this material when they were gathering other materials. Wow. Um, uh, because it's not something that one puts, um, you know, in a newspaper uh, obit uh, necessarily, and so you don't learn about this, um, and and, uh, and there's a tendency not for it not to be on the uh, uh, in, in in the death certificate. So the uh, um, so we learned a little bit about the severity of the problem, um, but you know we also learned that. People get better from this. So people go through this disordered eating or eating challenges or a series of different and, – and, and, and it can be in the form of restrictive eating. It can be in, in the form of overeating. It can be in the form of purging and overexercise and, um, the, uh, um, and, and, and also just idiosyncratic kinds of eating behaviors, mm. um, you know, just – can you give an example of that? Well, like, like maybe eating once a day. I see. You know, or eating uh, the same food every day. Hmm. You know, that, that sort of, um, that, that, that has a kind of a, <laughs> uh, almost like a boring nature to it. You know, it's not, it makes it not interesting or appealing, but um, it gives you some sense of the challenge for the individual who's experiencing it. And do you think that that, that, that they can't go further? Is that maybe on some unconscious design that, you know, I'm not going to make food interesting or or at least I know what I'm going to eat and then it's very regimented and, and Well, you know what's sort of what's sort of fascinating again about this is some of these individuals become dietitians. Wow. Some 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 of these individuals go into food service related because they become uh, experts activities you know um and so it's uh it's oh. not that they're 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 totally removing themselves from food right uh but the consumption the and and the trust of what it's going to do in their body mm. or mistrust you know the the uh, becomes a major issue and that trust is pervade or and mistrust is pervasive in in many forms in forms of relationships in in uh, uh you know in uh, um in 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 uh in just the ability to enjoy activities is it usually a body image situation that causes the eating disorders well 
you know, so what's the chicken and what's the right. egg here? So, so does the person gain weight and then develops the eating, you know, the body, the, 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 uh, um, it, it's sort of, a, it's often a misperception too, because, you know, mm-hmm. a, a number of the, these individuals with body image issues to the next person, they would never see that. Right. But this person experiences it. Hmm. And, and, uh, um, and, and so that gets to be this question for some, is it almost kind of a psychotic-like phenomenon when mm. the image is so discrepant from the reality. Right. So, so just so people know, psychotic really means that that it's a way of thinking that is absolutely sort of separated from what reality is. Right, right. You know, and... And maybe, and it may not even be the proper term here, right. but it's. But I, but I, I'm just trying to get at the degree the, of the, the, the gap, and, and the distortion. The distortion. Yeah. Ben, did you have something that you wanted to add? Ben is our studio guy. Sure. I do. Dr. Herzog, thank you for joining us first and foremost. My pleasure. Uh, I worked uh, in a very unique situation back in the day, uh, direct care with low-functioning, developmentally disabled adults. And one of my, I dare say, favorite clients was a lady in her uh, 55-plus years, and she had come out of an old institution called the Fernald Center. I'm not sure if you're familiar. I I certainly remember that in Waltham. Absolutely. And uh, as a direct care staff, what was interesting to me is that there was very little information from that time given. Uh, And when I took a little look into the confidential file, uh, we found all those files. And all of a sudden, her eating disorder started to make sense because she had a vicious form of pica, in which case, even after just completing dinner a few minutes prior, uh, if there was even so much as a, a hair on the floor, she would just go for it. And it was a strictly behavioral thing, but we never really could figure out the antecedents around it. So I guess my real question is, is in those cases where you have those low-functioning folks and the caregivers are doing everything they can to help them, what are some of the best ways for those caregivers to kind of step back and, and try to put themselves in this person's situation to, to help them best? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And before you answer that, Dr. Hurts, I just want yeah, but, but to... Are there about, any easier what, questions? What, what, you know, no, 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 we, we, we don't have any okay, easier. Okay, but, okay, but just for ahead. folks, I'm so sorry. pica is when people eat things that aren't food. And it can be hair, it can be, you know, paint, it can be anything. So that's what pica is. Go ahead. Sorry, Dr. Hurts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because... I, I think it, it gets back to this issue. How do you connect uh, and, and, and uh, with, uh, you know, how do you develop that relationship with someone who's low functioning, uh, you know, for the care provider? And uh, um, w- without, because there's a tendency, again, to kind of just say, don't do it, you know, or, or uh, rather than the, the, you know what happens with any compulsive behavior mm. you know i mean and again if you i think it's worth kind of thinking of it as a compulsive even though the individual may not have the same degree of functioning as uh, others you may work with the compulsivity is not so different they they they, they can't stop right <laughs> you know the the uh, you know i i it's like the what goes on in these gyms when I, these folks call me and they say, well, why is this person, we can't get the person out of the gym. Mm. And, uh, um, the, the, 
you know, and they're already, you know, severely underweight and so forth. So I, I, I do think it's really about, uh, you know, obviously providing some option, um, but I, 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 I still believe it's can can they develop as can you develop that kind of relationship and what it takes to do that. And that's those are the unique abilities that you. I mean, you've been doing that work. Absolutely, and and just for closure purposes, I, I haven't worked for this individual for uh, almost ten years now. But we did eventually figure out that her antecedent was validation. She didn't want to be left alone, and every time, especially around bedtime, for example, it was a matter of that door would never stay closed. She would never stay in there. She'd always want to come back out. She just wanted to be validated. And that was the big thing with a lot of folks in that crowd. Yeah, no, no, I can, uh, I, uh, the, the uh, but that must have taken some work to get to that. Especially with uh, learning sign language on the fly, yes, sir. Yeah, no, 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 I, uh, you know, you know, because you go back in some of these eating, with particularly with, with young folks with eating problems, and you say, well, did they have problems as, do they have failure to thrive, or do they, you know, do they have some other kind of eating issue early on in the first years of life? Um, and it's kind of interesting because my my wife headed the failure to thrive clinic at Children's Hospital when we met. The uh, um, so we covered the eating problem area, you know, over uh, the whole, the range of the developmental phases. But um, but they, not all these folks actually had these kinds of challenges when they were, you know, in the first two years of life. And, uh, and so for some, really the triggers start later. Uh, not that they, the biology might not be there, that may be there. And for a number of these individuals, there's sort of an anxiety level that's pretty high. Right. And, uh, um, and, and that, that, you know, uh, needs to be addressed. And then there's some for whom they're, they're, whether what's an eating problem and what's an what's called OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder gets to be complicated too because you know there is sort of like the obligatory runners. Yeah, I don't you know the individuals who just and you we all know young folks who are just hyperactive. Yeah. Not 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 I don't mean ADHD hyperactive. I mean we're just they're very active. Right, they like to move. They like to move. Um, the numbers you gave us—it sounds like it, you know a little more than a ten percent mortality rate. I mean, sixteen out of a hundred and thirty some odd folks. Is, is that is that what we can expect? Is it well? Now, now l let me say th this. This is this is a um, no. That's not what you can expect okay, good, necessarily. Good, but good, uh, good. but what I'm saying is that the severity of the illness is remarkable. Yeah. So this, these are individuals who, one, came to MGH. So that's not necessarily representative of sure. everybody going to yeah. their pediatrician or where, wherever they might go. That's number one. Number two, this is over a long period of time. And uh, um, the, the uh, um, and, and even though the attrition rate was low, meaning the individuals that we weren't able to follow was a pretty low percentage. Hmm. It still was, there are people we didn't know what happened to them. Right, sure. Okay, sure. so I just want to be, be, be clear about that. And then there are the questions in, 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 
practicality about what causes what. Right. So if someone has a suicide and has a history of, at some point, of having an eating disorder, is that the cause of the suicide? You know what I mean? Right. Is that is that it, 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 because a very high percentage of the people that we saw had what we would call a comorbid disorder. In other words, had another mm-hmm. psychiatric problem. Right. Okay, call it depression, call it anxiety, call it personality issues. Um, the, the, uh, um, but, and, and, and some of them had also physical maladies. I mean, that, so they may have had a GI condition. And, and they may have actually, I mean, there was one that, that you know, died with cancer. So it's hard mm-hmm. to, to, to attribute that necessarily to the eating problem. That being said, this was a remarkable rate of mortality right. in a young population. Right. That's the only point I want to make. So, so let me ask, let me ask another component to this: the cultural component, the social domain. I mean, I, I'm thinking of, you know, a hundred or so years ago. Remember, there was that that painter Ruben. Then he painted robust women, and that was sort of the thing to be. If you had a little bit more weight on you, you were successful. And then in the '60s, uh, we were talking about this. Mark didn't remember. That the actress Twiggy, the model right. Twiggy, right. who was so thin that, that they called Twiggy. So, is there? Do you think that this is is more in our new cultural generation, or is this something? I mean, well, something? you know, it's sort of interesting when you talk about the cultural generation because so the, a couple things have happened since the '60s. One is that uh, um, um, women in general have been given the opportunity to be more fit. Mm. By that I mean there are more athletic programs for women than were available, let's say, in the school age group back in the 60s. Okay? And and Title IX has been a big thing that's opened up. So that, 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 and and with that, there's somewhat of an athletic body that's okay. Mm. I don't you, you, you follow where I'm going here? I mean, it's a little different than either, um, uh, I don't know, softstick, the right, but the, 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 the you know, the, the more Rubenesque shape or the Twiggy, but that people, people go to gyms and, and it's, I'm, I'm referring now specifically to women, obviously, that, that, that and, and it can have a, more tone, it can have more muscle than, right. than, than existed before. Right. So, the 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 question was, well, then wouldn't that allow for a healthier view of of themselves? Mm. Have, have we it, seen a have we seen a bigger rise in the disorder um, since social media has come into play? There's no question about yeah, it. Really? No question about it. No question about it. And, but let me just say, I, as I say, I, I, it's also we're seeing a much more uptight youth. Mm. I mean, I don't think you can play that down mm. in all. The, so the, that's when you talk about eating issues, whether you talk about substance problems, whether you talk about learning problems, the numbers have clearly increased. It's not just that we're detecting them easier or that we're more aware of it. You really think that there's there's a absolute increase in prevalence. It's not just that we're more aware of it and able to see it. Uh, I, well, if the only thing I can turn to are... Or the, the 
the you know the the like the pediatricians and those folks and ask them what they've seen over the years and they say they see more you know uh now that doesn't answer your question did did they not detect it earlier uh you know was it not part of their screen but just visually Mm um uh it uh um and I, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, we didn't grow. I didn't grow up with one uh, percent milk. Yeah. I actually drank regular milk yeah. as a kid. Right. Okay. Right. I I I, uh, I actually had chocolate milk. <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, I didn't have uh, Diet Coke or I don't know any of these things. So I, I we grew up in a very different time where there wasn't as much focus on call it dietetic or I don't know, uh, um, but something about uh, the kinds of foods we eat. There wasn't, the, people didn't spend as much time focused on that. Yeah. Now, now, maybe they didn't live as long, you know, so that may be another piece that, so that maybe good things have come from this. But but I'm just saying that I think there's been more concern and, there, and there's endless material about eating problems in anything, in every newspaper and magazine. Right. Um, yeah, uh, and it's hard to grow up today as a young woman and not know somebody who actually has a serious or has had a su- substantial eating problem. What, what's the the ratio between men and women with the eating disorders? You know, it's probably somewhere around you know ten to one or eight really? to one or something. That what, what what what? Now you know, of course, now mm. we're seeing a little bit more of the body dysmorphic things in males who are you know, getting, taking steroids or other kind of items to kind of bulk up and because they don't feel their chests are big enough or whatever the case may be. But so you see a little bit more of that uh, than, than, than we used to, but still by and large female problem. I just wanted to, we have a few minutes left. I just wanted to be sure we, we didn't miss a couple of things because you were talking about the parents early on and the guilt that they feel but I'm also wondering, what is this like for a care provider? Because this can be a, a fairly pernicious and, and refractory condition, right? I mean, it, it can take a lot to move someone. It, 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 it's, a, uh, it's extraordinary. I have to be perfectly honest, and a lot of providers don't want to take care of these individuals, as they don't want to take care of people with substance use, right. incidentally. Right. So it, 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 the, the stigma is in both arenas. But and because sometimes it takes longer to actually provide this care, it, depending upon it, how much flexibility the provider uh, can uh, can access. What do I mean by that? Well, so the individual with an eating disorder may not agree to be weighed, mm. and yet the provider may feel like that's standard care. Mm-hmm. You get on, you come to my office, you get on the scale. Yeah. Well, the person doesn't want to get on the scale. You know, not only doesn't want to, is not going to get on the scale. You know, I mean, it's pretty determined, pretty inflexible about that particular issue. So, so then, what do you do? And is there other ways to measure that and follow that? You know, uh, a state of health without getting stuck on that particular number of a scale. And I, I think you know, this is, I think, where some care providers may get into a a battle over control and where they then may interpret well you know that's what this really is your your food condition is really about control 
and and they I mean I, I've worked with a lot of folks who themselves begin to feel so inadequate as a care provider because they think that they they're being seen with less value they they can't fix this has right. that been your experience oh no question about it big time big problem big problem and it's not just um the individual providers it's actually programs mm. so that when i was at judge baker years back individuals would be in the hospital for months because they didn't reach 100 in other words they got stuck at 99 yeah and they didn't get to 100 and the program was you had to get to the 100 mm. They, and, and the program wasn't going to be flexible. <laughs> you, know, right. you were going to stay. Now, obviously, now costs and so forth would change that. But, but all I'm just gives you a perspective of how stuck people can get into this right. in their control battles. So we, we have a little less than a minute left. Are there programs that are out there for folks who are listening who may need to get help with this? Anyone? Oh, yeah. Then there are great programs. I mean, you know, for teenagers, you know, McLean has a great program, the Clarman Center. The, there, there's a, uh, 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 the Cambridge Eating Disorders Center, There's a, uh, which is in Cambridge, uh, obviously, and uh, Laurel Hill, which is in Waltham. Um, and there's a Montanito program in Medford. All of those are sort of... Uh, um, sort of more in the residential or uh, intensive programs. And then most of the centers, uh, most of the health uh, ma major hospitals have clinics available to them. So Mass General, right. uh, you know, Tufts New England Medical Center, Beth Israel, and so forth. So they folks, all, they there, all have. there is help out there. Uh, Dr. Herzog, I wanted to thank you so much for being on our show tonight. Uh, it's, it's incredible work that you've done. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are listening who who now have a bit more hope. Yeah. Will you, you ever Dr. let me come back? Yeah, yeah, we are. Okay. Yeah, we'll let you come back sometime. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Really Take appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Dr. Herzog. Everybody, we will catch you all next week. Bye.